Uh, well, we've been working through the Lord's Prayer, just step by step. We are exploring the Lord's Prayer, digging into it. You know, um, Course and Current, our class on Course in the Morning is going through the Lord's Prayer as well. And today, you know, some of the comments were about, you know, the prayer becomes sort of rote and mundane, and we kind of go through the motions sometimes. So people were saying, hey, it's really good to dig into it. And so I think it's good for all of us to dig into it because we do it pretty much every Sunday, and it can become sort of just, you know, blah, 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 white noise. And so it's important for us to know what we're actually praying when we pray the Lord's Prayer. So we're digging into it. And we're on, um, we're on the thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven petition. So the prayer begins, our Father who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. And biblical studies professor, the book that we're using for the course in our class on Sunday mornings, uh, biblical studies professor Wesley Hill's book on the Lord's Prayer, uh, Hill separates the petition, thy will be done from on earth as it is in heaven or as it is in heaven. Whereas New Testament theologian, um, Anglican Bishop um, Tom Wright, N.T. Wright, he keeps the two petitions together as one thought, thy will be done um, thy on earth as it is in heaven, as one sort of thing, which, you know, it is one complete sentence, so I can see why Wright would do it that way. And I can understand why Hill breaks his down, because it is actually two different petitions, as you're counting off the petitions in the prayer. So uh, we've separated the two petitions, and so we're hitting the on earth as it is in heaven right now. So this said, both petitions, thy kingdom come and thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven, both of them say it is here. The kingdom is here. It is a come. It is a presence. It is on earth. It is squarely and present in our time and space during our daily lives, during your lifetime and during my lifetime, the kingdom is here. Your kingdom, O Lord, is in our daily lives, is what it's praying. The prayer Jesus teaches his disciples is a very earthly, it's a very real prayer. It's, it's not a lofty dream or some sort of wish fulfillment thing about heaven. The prayer is actually the opposite. The Lord's prayer is about your kingdom be right here on earth during our daily moment, our very earthly, real lives, whatever we may be doing. Therefore, we do well to live out and practice the prayer daily in our lives. It's a walking prayer. It's not just a liturgical prayer or some lofty thing that we stuff on a shelf. What does it look like to have God's kingdom in our lives? I'm going to make this super practical this morning. I could have gotten all sort of theoretical about heaven and blah, blah, blah and all this, but I think it, the heaven on earth is very, very mundane and very, very pragmatic, and it looks like this. The kingdom of heaven looks like to love and be loved, to know and be known, to serve and be served, and to celebrate and be celebrated. Love and be loved, know and be known, serve and be served, and celebrate and be celebrated. At the top of the list is love and be loved. Jesus gives his final command to his disciples in the upper room. John chapter 13, verses 34 and 35. Jesus says, I give you a new command, men, <laughs> that you love one another just as I have loved you. You also should love one another. By this, by your love for one another, 
By this, everyone will know that you are my disciples if you have love for one another. We could make up the converse. If you don't love one another, then no one will know you're my disciples. True. The Apostle Paul was adamant about real, genuine love. Paul tells the new church in Corinth, a rather, let's just say, colorful church in Corinth, meaning very trashy, and they were trying to figure out what is Christianity, and he tells them this. He says, look, look, Corinth, you guys could have miracles galore. You could speak in tongues. You can have incredible teaching. You can explore the scriptures. You can do whatever you want, but but if you do not have love, then you're just a clanging bell. You're just a neighbor's wind chime rattling on that nobody pays attention to. Over the years, you know, I've, I've kept a folder of people who have written me notes saying really nice things. Uh, thanks for listening. Uh, thanks for asking me about my family. I got a note from a woman um, thinking Lakeland, not just me, but thinking Lakeland, because before she experienced Christ's love here at Lakeland, um, her life, she said, was pointless. And then after she and her husband got involved in a small group for couples around here, and there was a moment when the two of them prayed together for the very first time, wow, the, 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 what a treasure, she said, her life had become because she figured out what it means to have God in their relationship. Now she knows what it means to be loved and be loved. Um, a little-known philosopher, a Jewish woman who wanted to become Catholic but never could do it, and who fought with the French resistance during World War II, Simon Weil. Looks like Simon Well, but it's Simon Weil. Simon Weil once wrote, "Love is patient. Uh, love, love. No, Jesus said that. Love. No, Paul said that. <laughs> I am such a." pastor dude. It just rolls off. She said, Love's pay, love pays attention. Love pays attention. In other words, love takes the child by the, thin, by the chin and lifts their eyes to meet yours and pays attention. Love pays attention. Simon Bay. Famous Eastern Orthodox theologian Alexander Schmemann Schmemann says that everyone on the planet is trying to forget about death. That's the number one function. And I think most philosophers agree. We will argue and fight, scratch and claw our way to fake immortality. To, to somehow convince ourselves that we're fully alive. And that we're important. But God's love requires us to die to ourselves and die to our neighbor. Schmemann gives this picture of how we should think about ourselves. Quoting Schmemann. In movies and magazines, the icon of marriage is always a youthful couple. But once, he says, in the light and warmth of an autumn afternoon, this writer saw on the bench in a public square in a poor Parisian suburb an old and poor couple. And they were sitting hand in hand in silence, enjoying the pale light, the last warmth of the season. And in silence... All the world words have been said, all passions exhausted, all storms at peace. The whole of life was behind, and yet all of it was now present. In this silence, in this light, in this warmth, and in the silent unity of hands. 
Laurie and I were, uh, a few years ago, we were in New York City. It was a beautiful fall day, crystal clear, 72 degrees, beautiful day. And we were walking around Central Park. And, uh, and I saw a bench with like a Narnia lamppost behind it, you know, Lion, Witch, and the Wardrobe type thing. And I saw this bench, and I grabbed her hand, and I ran over there and said, come on, we got to sit on this bench, and we got to hold hands. And she's like, she's like, oh, okay. Um, and I said, we got to get her picture taken. I don't think she still understands what was going on, but I had this whole shmaman picture in my head, you know, like, let's just sit here and be silent and hold hands in Central Park on this fall day. I found that picture this week. I was looking through some other stuff, and I found that picture. I'm like, that's it. That's the goal. No more words. Just sit on the bench, hold hands. That's my picture of love, and it is to be loved. How's your love level these days? When have you given up the fight? When have you chose to lose and keep your mouth shut? When was the last time you died to your own ego so you could really live and be free? So you could love and be loved? Take inventory, everyone. On a scale of one to five, how are you doing on love? You angry about everything? Walking around with a frown on your face? You got words to say? Scale of one to five, take inventory. How are you doing on love and being loved? The kingdom, on, the kingdom on earth as it is in heaven looks like to know and be known. In church, the church I grew up with in a, as a kid, a fundamentalist church where, you know, you couldn't dance and you couldn't drink. Uh, you could smoke all day long, but you couldn't do a lot of other things. But nonetheless, um, in that church growing up, um, I don't ever remember anybody in the church having a problem. Now, I was a kid, you know, but now that says... Actually, everyone had problems, but none of them came out, right? And uh, except for the Wilburn family. We were the goof-ups in the church. We had five kids, and that's a good starting place for goofing up. But you know what I mean? Because we were always doing something wrong. And it, it just felt that way. Whether it was true or not, there was just something. The Wilburns, here they come. Get out of the way. Everyone be polite as fast as you can. I imagine that every other family there probably had the same problems that we had, had problems, you know, uh, failing marriages, kids, drugs, runaways, unwanted pregnancies, alcoholics, but nobody ever admitted it. Nobody came out of hiding because it was really, really uptight about doing the right moral thing, you know? So in many churches, it's just not legal to have a problem. You can't do it. People can sit in chairs and pews and read and hear the scriptures and pray the prayer and plead, plead you know, um, for us to come out of hiding and read those scriptures that say come out of hiding, you know, like the ones that like, you desire truth in the innermost part, Psalm 51. Or how about Psalm 139, you know, search me, O God, and know my heart, test me and know my anxious thoughts. They can pray that stuff, sing the songs, and those same people don't allow anyone in. What I found over the decades of ministry is Christians become spectacular Christ imitators when life goes wrong and they become known. Life's going to go wrong. The question is, are you going to be known? 
Lakeland has Mercy Street. It's been going on for a long time around here on Saturday nights. It's a 12-step based friends, uh, group of friends who the main, the main thing is to know and be known. There's another group of folks around here who are quietly working on their addictions together. And this is just what we might call the dramatic folk. The rest of us just get together and look at each other and say, how are you doing? And people come out of hiding. I've been doing life with the same three men around here since the very first days of Lakeland. Same guys. I'm convinced it's an outright miracle. That doesn't happen. It's rare. Those men have grounded me. To be known is worth more to me than any political or class differences. In those early days, we dug through books trying to figure out how to parent. These days, we just sit around and kind of say, like, meh, parenting. <laughs> now our kids are grown. They're on their own. And that's our life together. Ups and downs. Successes and failures. Sickness and health. Life. Knowing and being known. You have a place where you're known? Where anybody knows you? Anybody know you? Is that legal in your life? So take a moment, take inventory. One to five. How are you doing on being known? And who do you know? Who would you say knows you best? Know and be known on a scale of one to five. How are you doing on being known? The kingdom of heaven is here on earth when we serve and we be served. When we serve and we be served. I believe we have a really strong serving church. I think it's one of our hallmarks around here. We've worked hard at it. We read the scriptures. We understand it's not about us. It's about somebody else. We're just a bunch of beggars telling other beggars where the bread is. We get it. I really do. We set records on above and beyond generosity. We set records to the point to where our financial uh, consultants just sit around and wag their heads and say, like, I don't get you guys. You guys, I don't get it. You're off the chart. Whatever. We are generous to serve uh, in our own neighborhood and our neighbors in the under-resourced side of East Kansas City. Lakelanders travel thousands of miles to help with those suffering just, just so they can help and so they can hold children, so they can donate, so they can do things. You have folks in your midst like Adam Lips who gave up a year of his life, you know, law degree, working at a bank. His parents thought he was crazy and he took a year and moved to China, sequestered in an apartment teaching New believers in Christ on the other side of the planet for a whole year. That's serving. Around here we have welcoming the stranger. A lot of people are involved in it. They're just following Jesus' teaching. For I was hungry and you gave me food. I was thirsty and you gave me something to drink. I was a stranger and you welcomed me. I was naked and you gave me clothing. I was sick and you took care of me. I was in prison and you visited me. Doesn't get much clearer. We get it. We have bought it. We understand it. Lakeland believes serving is not an option. It's not a tag on. Serving others is normal for the church. And over the years here on Sunday morning, time after time, people show up very early to clean and prepare for somebody else's children, take time out of their morning 
They rehearse worship. They set up chairs. They take out trash. They clean the glass on and on. They vacuum. They, they dress up in stupid costumes for the children to pretend that there's some Bible character or a donkey or whatever just so they can try and get the story across to kids. And then somebody else just brings breakfast. I think Lakeland loves to serve. We kind of got a little addiction thing. I don't know. It might even be a one-upmanship. We may even be at that point, as dark as that might be. Like, who can outserve somebody else? All right, but we're, we're getting it done. It's almost a competitive thing around here. Years ago, uh, someone around here badly needed uh, brakes on their car. And uh, they had no money. I mean, they had less than 100 bucks to their name, right? And somebody told them about a repair shop where they could get a deal, right? And so they took their car there. And when they came to pick the car up, the repair shop said, like, hey, it's free. Somebody already paid for it. Somebody here. We had a thing going for a while where it was sort of competitive to give your car away. Donate your car. And people just donating cars around here like crazy. I'm not even sure we knew where they went. We gave away cars to people. How's your serving quotient? How are you scaling on this? On a scale of one to five, do you feel like you're serving enough? You feel served? Anybody taking care of you? Are you taking care of anybody else? Serve and be served is the kingdom of God. The kingdom here on earth, as it is in heaven, is when the church celebrates and is celebrated. When the kids were little, you know, and we go outside to play, and, you know, dad going outside to play, and suddenly, you know, you're outside, so the neighborhood kids all start showing up. And you take your child by the hands, right? And, and you would swing them around in the air. And their little equilibriums have far more fluidity than my inner ear did at the time as you get older. And, you know, because I can't do spinny rides anymore. But we would swing them around until you, the parent, are about to vomit. It is, you would get sick. And what does the kid say? Do it again. And then me, 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 me. And all the neighborhood kids, and pretty soon you're like a puddle of goo while the kids are saying, do it again, do it again, do it again, do it again. Kids can celebrate long after grown-ups have grown bored and tired. <laughs> Maybe, you know, God's joy is like a child's ability, ability for just to celebrate infinitely. Maybe a child. Maybe God is more childlike. This picture of God being some old dude with a beard sitting up in heaven, like throwing lightning bolts at people like Zeus or something, like, that's so wrong. God's actually the youngest thing in the universe. Timeless, that is. Maybe God's younger than us, and each evening God says to the moon and the stars, do it again, do it again, do it again. G.K. Chesterton once said, it may not be automatic necessity that makes all daisies alike. It may be that God makes each daisy separately and has never gotten tired of making them. The religious leaders saw Jesus partied way too much. A party followed Jesus everywhere he went, by the way. Jesus thought each day was a wedding party. First miracle was where? At a wedding. Doing what? Turning water into wine. Jesus was a party. The church ought to reflect God's infinite joy and happiness. The church ought to be a wedding celebration just as much as possible. This summer for Course and Current, 
I mean, it's Lakeland, so we're going to party. Because it's summertime, and we're trying to get out of this pandemic. Are we endemic yet? I don't know. What? Who cares? So because we're going to do fun food and fellowship, right? Fun food and fellowship all summer long. In the course hour, we're going to do fun food and fellowship. And during the current hour we're in right now, we're going to do fun food and fellowship and worship and all that sort of thing. Like, that's what we're going to do. Food binds folks together. We get that. All along, uh, along with worshiping our Lord, we're just simply going to hang out and eat and play. We're just going to come to be together, to celebrate and be celebrated. And get to know each other more and more and more. Along with worshiping the Lord, we're just simply going to hang out and eat. And every now and then we're going to do something fun for the kids and, you know, spend some money and stuff like that. The pandemic's been hard on life. Politics has even been harder on life, it feels like. But each day is a gift from God. Each day is a gift from God. Each breath, each heartbeat is a gift from God. And if we don't celebrate it, pretty soon we start thinking that we are God. And that we cause our own heart to beat. And that we think we take our own breath. But we don't. Everything's a gift. Everything's a gift. The Wilburns hope to celebrate life just as much as possible this summer. We will play games, we will eat and drink, and we will water ski at sunrise, and we will sit by the fire pit at night with vigilance. We don't have time for uptight frowns and high-minded moral judgmentalism. How's your celebration level these days? Has the world dragged you down, made you think way, way, way too serious about who you ought to not be liking? Who's wrong? I'm convinced that the goal of the Christian moral life is to hold no opinion of another. Now, it's a complicated statement to hold no opinion of another. There is, of course, righteous judgment. But in general, just to get it down to brass tacks, it means don't judge people while you're driving. How's that for a throwdown goal? Just got practical in here. We die to our neighbor. We die to our own self-centeredness. The kingdom is an open hand, not a closed fist. Take inventory, everybody. How's your celebration doing these days? You got plans? You got goals? Are you going to bed tired because it was just too much fun that day? Love and be loved. Know and be known. Serve and be served. Celebrate and be celebrated. This is the kingdom here on earth. This is what it looks like during our one lifetime. This is our calling. This is what makes Christians attractive. Not political correctness or political power, but loving, knowing, serving, and celebrating. How's the kingdom looking in your life these days? It's a straight-ahead message. This is the Lord's Prayer. This is what the kingdom looks like. May the Lord's kingdom here on earth as it is in heaven be true for you. Amen. Go in peace, everyone.